Tell me if this scenario sounds familiar to you. So you're with your family or at a gathering with a group of friends, a bunch of people around a table eating stuff. Many of the folks are on their phones and there's one person who's trying to tell a story or plan a a game for later in the night and talking to a distracted crowd with all their eyes on the screens and their faces are bathed in blue light. Does, does uh, that sound like a scenario you've uh, encountered in your in your past? I feel like I've been a part of that scene. Uh, <laughs> I may I may be the problem in that scene. Um, I was going to say, are you uh, the talker? Or are you the are you the blue faced guy? Uh, I think I've been on all sides, but I'm a little worried. <laughs> I've been the blue faced guy <laughs> a little bit too much. Well, unplugging or lowering screen time, it's a very common New Year's resolution. And in keeping with our theme of resolutions and behavioral change, um, I think, you know, it's time to sort of examine our relationships with our devices. So first of all, a question that I will posit to you is, can we really be screen free, Jeremy? I I personally feel like it's very difficult. I feel like every day something that was not on a screen becomes a screen. Even my like five-year-old, all her stuff at kindergarten is on a tablet at this point. So, Right. And we may not be able to, to, you know, buck that trend, but I guess there's different categories of screen time the way I think of it. So there may be a different category for quote unquote mindlessly scrolling through a stranger's social media posts and advertisements versus making real connections with friends or completing work tasks or doing, you know, uh, data searches and and learning things, right? So there's different categories we can put these things in and and, uh, how we can organize them better. I think it's interesting to delve into sort of what screen time might do to our brains um, on sort of a behavioral level uh, and also a bit on a chemical level. So from Harvard Medical School, there was a study saying that blue light emitting screens can disrupt sleep patterns. So they delay melatonin release. Um, Social media and gaming can use a variable reward system, kind of like a slot machine, which can feed into obsessive behaviors. Um, another source from SUNY Potsdam, were mentioning that dysregulated dopamine release in response to gaming and social media, these sort of quick hits of dopamine can sort of desensitize the brain's reward system. Also, screen time can induce a fight or flight response, releasing cortisol, causing hyperarousal and further frontal lobe and mood dysregulation problems. So I think on a, on a molecular level, it, it makes some changes long term. That's not exactly what I think we need to focus on in this episode, but I wanted to give a little bit of science background. Because really sure. what it comes down to is how can we balance the idea of screen time and green time? And how important is this balance what is draining our mental resources and how can we refuel them? So to continue our series on resolutions, let's talk about examining a relationship with digital media and t- with our devices, with our computers. How can we make realistic resolutions and attainable goals? And thankfully, we have an amazing expert in human-computer interaction to help us understand this more. What do you think, Chair? Yeah, it sounds great. Let's get started. Welcome to your doctor friends, the show that teaches you to sniff out the garbage and answers all the questions that you wish you could call or text your doctor friend. My name's Julie Bruni. And I'm Jeremy Allen, and we are two physicians who work at a nationally ranked practice and take care of some of the world's greatest athletes. We know that you have questions and we want to help. We want to be your doctor friends. All right, we're back. So as we mentioned in the open, uh, we have an unbelievable guest today. I am so excited. I'm so looking forward to this episode. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm paying my full attention to this right now because we have Dr. Gloria Mark 
Uh, Gloria Mark, PhD. She's the Chancellor's Professor of Informatics at UC Irvine. She has her PhD from Colombian Psychology. She's a Fulbright Scholar. She has a Bachelor in Fine Arts from the CIA, which is the Cleveland Institute of Art. She's a visiting senior researcher at Microsoft Research since 2012. Her interest in research is understanding the impact of digital media on people's lives. She's best known for her work in studying people's multitasking, mood, behavior, and stress in real-world environments. She's published over 200 papers in top journals and conferences in the fields of human-computer interaction and computer-supported cooperative work. She's the author of the books Attention Span and Multitasking in the Digital Age. Her work has been widely widely recognized outside of academia. Um, she's been at South by Southwest, uh, recently was in the New York Times. She's been in the Wall Street Journal, on NPR, The Atlantic, BBC. She's kind of too cool to be on this show, so I'm super <laughs> excited about that. Yeah, I'm hearing rock star and also really smart. <laughs> So I can't, I'm gushing, Jeremy, you're going to have to take over because I, I need a moment. I'm also feeling very vulnerable because everything that she researches, I think I would be a perfect subject for. So I may be enrolled in some of these studies moving forward. So yeah, super excited to have Dr. Mark on. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So I want to go back to our intro for a second and ask you the question, do you think that we can actually be quote screen free? So, you know, it's interesting, uh, you know, you, both of you mentioned the idea of just cutting ourselves off from technology. And, you know, I have a different mindset about that because we, we live in a digital world. The ship has sailed. We, we can't completely cut ourselves out from technology use. Uh, I think that the better perspective to take is to think about how we can learn to live with technology. How can we better integrate it into our lives so it does not interfere with our relationships, with our work, with our family, <laughs> with, with our interactions with other people. I think that's the, the real key. How can we make the best use of technology for our advantage? What, what can we glean from it? and take advantage of this wonderful innovation without uh, getting ourselves lost in it. And, you know, how can, how can we recover our agency as humans to be able to do what we want with this technology and not feel like it's overtaking our lives? I really like how you phrase that because I feel like oftentimes when people hear these conversations or, or look at the research, it's, it's demonized in terms of like technology, like, oh, the phones and social media ruined everything. And if we just removed them, everything would be better. But, you know, coming at it from the reality of like, that's not going to happen. And so how do we continue to function with these powerful tools? I love that. Yeah. And and it shouldn't happen. I, I need my phone to contact my daughters, right? And we, you know, we, we need to get some information off the internet. Uh, maybe you'll cringe when I say this, but people get medical information. Off, <laughs> you off don't say. <laughs> you know, but we, we do live in a digital world and there certainly are advantages. And, you know, doing a digital detox is talked about quite a lot, but it's like a crash diet. Yeah. You know, it, it'll, it'll work for a while and then you come back and we have the same habits. But instead, you know, like if I am going to do a diet, I, I don't view it as a diet. I view it as a new way of eating that I do for the rest of my life. And I do. That's that's what I do. 
I approach the way I eat as a permanent endeavor, you know, having good habits about how I eat. And it's the same with technology. Let's let's not go on crash diets because you come back and do exactly the same things. But let's instead learn a, a new way of interacting with technology so we can use it more intelligently and it doesn't... Um, have negative consequences on our lives and our relationships with other people. Dr. Mark, I mean, it, it's like you're inside my head right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's so funny. At the time that we're uh, recording this, I think, Jeremy, we're going to have had our Diets of TikTok episode already happened. And it's like you're, it, 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 I, we basically just need Dr. Mark on for every single episode to tell us to be sustainable. <laughs> Yeah, did you already listen to our unreleased episode of Diets on TikTok? Because it sounded like you were very on point with what we already said there. Yeah, I I think everybody likes the idea of a detox because it seems quick and fast and sexy, and uh, it feels like opening up a new chapter in their lives, in you know, in the book of their lives. And really, it may be helpful in a sense of like, okay, here's here's a temporal relationship to something that's going to make me kickstart my behavioral change. But you're right. I think the thought of feasibly trying to be screen free or minimizing our screen time is akin to a crash diet. And I think you you answered beautifully. Can we feasibly screen free? It's like, sure, try that for like a day and a half and see what happens to your life, you know? And really, we're talking about creating sustainable behavior patterns in our lives in the same way we view food and exercise and sleep. The question I like to ask a researcher, because I've been here many times before, is what was the original question you set out to answer when you started that research? The original question actually started when I first began in academia in the year 2000. Before that, I was working and living in Germany, and I worked at this research institute where I used to view it as a life of luxury because I didn't have to write grants. I you know, only needed to focus on one single research project. I had all the resources to do it. And then I came over to academia and all of a sudden I have to write my own grants. Mm. I have to teach, mentor students, sit on committees. And, uh, and then it was not just a single project, but it turned out to be multiple projects. And at the time I counted, went up to 11 different projects I was working on, which which was not uncommon. So I had to juggle all of that. Now, what was also happening was that I found myself more and more tethered to my screen. Hmm. I would wake up in the morning at breakfast. First thing I would do is go online. Throughout the day, I would go online. I'd you know, in Germany, we used to have very long lunch breaks where we would, you know, all the colleagues would sit together. The main meal of the day in Germany, it's called Mittagessen, which is a, a hot meal. It's a long meal. You really take a sufficient break, come back, come to the U.S., and then I'm just grabbing something, running back to my office, eating in front of my computer, looking around at all my other colleagues who were doing exactly the same thing. So what was going on? I started to wonder. Now, on the one hand, I'm spending more and more time in the screen. On the other hand, I was having trouble focusing on any single screen. Mm, and I yeah. kept noticing how my attention was switching. I was switching between projects. 
Um, we didn't have social media in 2000. We, we did have other things. And of course, there, there was news. Um, but I found myself switching attention among all kinds of different screens. And I, I was just wondering, is it me? Is it only me or is it other people? And so the, the research question that I set out to understand is to what extent are people having difficulty focusing their attention when they're using their computers? I wanted to know, is this widespread or is it just me and a, a few people? I love what I've consumed in your work about your thoughts and hypotheses and research and data about quote unquote multitasking. And I would love for you to break open and, and I can kind of give you, you know, some, <laughs> an avenue to go down in a sense, but I loved the concept of what you talked about as distraction cost and how switching from one task or mindset to another has lag time that we may not, we may have differing levels of ability to tolerate. And I would just love for you to kind of give us a primer on that concept. Yeah. So, you know, there's this common notion that when we multitask, we can do more, right? Yeah. We're accomplishing more, but uh, it's, it's the opposite. We're actually accomplishing less and there's, we're accomplishing less in a number of ways. So every time you shift attention to a new screen or a new task or, or even a new device. Um, you have to reorient to this new thing that you're looking at. And I can, I can use a metaphor. It's like having an internal whiteboard in your mind. And every time you do, let's say some kind of task, you, you have a representation of that task. So if I'm, if I'm writing and I write a lot in my profession, um, I have this representation of what, what am I writing? You know, what's the topic? You know, what kind of language do I want to use? What have I written already? What do I plan to write? So I have this representation in my head. And then I suddenly switch and I look at email. And I have, you know, let's say 10 unanswered emails. And I go through these emails and some of them are asking me to do work and provide information. Some of them require answering. And I go through these. And in fact, every time I get to a new email, it's a new representation. Oh, there's this project I have to respond to or this person. And then I go back to, uh, to that writing, right? I have to erase that that whiteboard inside my mind of the email that I just did. And I have to rewrite my new representation of, of this, uh, of the writing. And sometimes, you know, just like with a real whiteboard, we can't erase it completely. You know how sometimes when you erase a whiteboard, you see remnants of what had been written that can happen with us too. So let's say you read some gripping personal story on news, and then you try to go back to your work task. That story can stay with you in your head, and it, it creates interference, and it can interfere with, with the current task that you're trying to do. So whenever we're switching, there's, you know, a lot of this is going on behind the scenes in the mind. Uh, people make more errors when they switch their attention, you know, switching your attention is um, synonymous with the idea of multitasking. 
right? When you multitask, you're attending to different activities. Um, so people make more errors. In fact, there, there are studies done with physicians that show that physicians and nurses make more errors when they multitask. In fact, there was one study that showed they made a lot more prescribing errors when they were switching their attention. So that's that's not a good thing. And uh, let me also quickly address a myth about multitasking, which is this idea that people can do two things simultaneously. That's not humanly possible if both of these things require effort. So we think we can be in a Zoom meeting and deal with our email at the same time. Uh, you actually can't. You're doing one or the other. And if you're on the Zoom meeting, then you really have to pay attention to that Zoom meeting. Uh, if you're on your email, you're really paying attention to the email. Both of those things require effort uh, or or else you don't do either one well. Yeah, it's um, the concept of are you are you half-assing two things or are you whole-assing one thing? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I, I once had this experience, and I write about it in the book, where I was once double booked mm. and I had two teleconferences and I realized this right before they started and I was too embarrassed to cancel. And so what did I do? I had earphones, oh, one God. earphone connected to my phone, the other ear with the earphone connected <laughs> to my computer. No. And I'm trying to keep track of both conversations. I, I couldn't do either one well. And every time my name was called that to respond to, I just had to ask them to repeat what they were saying because I, it, it was a very frustrating experience. And so we, we can't do two things at the same time well. So you, earlier you, you talked about distraction caused or also called a switch caused. And that's right. It, it takes us longer to do a task when we're continually interrupted by working on something else. And, you know, and it's, it's often more than just purely subtracting the amount of time. Like if I'm writing a chapter and then I spend 10 minutes on email and then come back, you might want to add up, ah, 10 minutes on email, 30 minutes on writing. It's, it's more than that because you have this, what I talked about the whiteboard Mm -hmm. Erasing and rewriting the the whiteboard adds on to the time. Yeah. Uh, probably the the worst thing of all for switching our attention and multitasking is that it causes stress. We know that it causes stress. Uh, there was a study that shows that um, really fast switching causes blood pressure to rise. Mm -hmm. There's a physiological marker in the body that indicates people have higher stress. Um, I have done laboratory experiment where in one task, people, they did a task without interruptions and other tasks, they were forced to, in, you know, attend to interruptions and switch their attention and their stress was uh, significantly higher. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, in... The real world I use, the, the real world means outside of a laboratory, uh, <laughs> we uh, we use computer logging techniques to see how fast people switch screens. We use heart rate monitors. 
which measures heart rate variability, which is a measure of stress. And we find a correlation between when uh, attention is shifting and stress going up as measured by heart rate variability. And when people are asked, you know, using well-validated questionnaires about their perceived stress, their perceived stress mm. is higher. So all, all these measures are consistent. It, it affects stress. You just need a biometric for temple rubbing and groaning and uh, 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 armpit sweating too. I think that would be <laughs> accurate. Well, we've, we've also done studies where we used a thermal imaging camera, oh, nice. which, which looks at what's called the perinasal region of the face, mm. where when people sweat, that's where sweat mm. shows up. And we've also found stress using that. That's so interesting. I also feel like in a lot of studies, especially behavioral studies, where you ask human beings, do you feel like you're good at this or whatnot? We usually are terrible at perceiving whether we're good at something or we're feeling (laughs) symptoms and stress. And it's interesting because this is when we seem to already understand that we stink at it and we still can't fix it. So that really gives you a sense of like the the depth of this problem. And I feel like you were directly talking to me. I was just visually seeing myself and even in my own clinic where, you know, I'm clicking on the electronic health record, seeing where the patients are. Okay. What do I need to do next? Okay. Let me quickly check my email. Cause I think there may have been an add on patient or like, I need to follow up on this thing. Okay. Quickly. I need to go to the team's chat and make sure that everybody's on top there. Okay. Let's go back to the Athena thing real quick, which is our EHR. And like, at some point I'm always like, you know, I'm just going to go to like ESPN.com to give myself a break. Just like two seconds of looking at something that's not healthcare related. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, you just kind of made me feel like what I am sensing as a break is also worsening my attention to go back to where I was (laughs) before. So all of that anecdote is to lead to the question of, in your research, have you guys discussed kind of like why we do this? Like, what is at the depth of this? Is this nature? Is this nurture? (laughs) Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of reasons. So let me try to unpack that. So first of all, you know, there, there's this myth that it's the notifications on our computers that are responsible for distracting us. Um, It turns out that people are just as likely 49% of the time as likely to distract themselves. So people self-interrupt about half the time, as opposed to from some external stimulus, like a phone call or a notification. Uh, So, you know, we have these urges. It could be a memory to do something. It could be pure habit. I mean, there's, there's a lot of reasons why people themselves have this urge to self-interrupt. And if we kind of zoom out and look at a bigger picture, there's there's a number of things in society, societal influences that interact with our our natures. Um, so let me let me first talk about some things in our natures. We're we're social beings, and people seek social rewards. We seek social connections. Um, there's a lot of social dynamics involved in how we relate to other people. So there's uh, social capital. We, we want to do favors for other people because we expect they're going to do favors for us. So I'm going to be inclined to answer email 
from somebody because I want them to answer my email. Or maybe I think this person is going to offer me a job in the future. So I'm, I'm going to respond to them. So there's a lot of this trading in social capital that goes on. It, it happens in social media as well. Um, but uh, there's also, you know, we're unique individuals. Everyone has their own unique personality makeup. And there are personality differences as well that can explain distraction. Some people were born lucky with dealt a good set of cards with high self-regulation skills, um, and others weren't. But just because you weren't dealt a good set of cards uh, doesn't mean you can't change. You can't. I think anyone can develop good self-regulation. People who happen to score high in a personality trait called neuroticism tend to have shorter attention spans. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I also tend to score high in neuroticism. What do neurotics do? We, we tend to replay events over and over in our minds like, oh, the, the interaction that I had with you know, with my colleague earlier in the day, oh, I, I could have done it better. I could have said something different. And we use mental resources in that replaying of events. And then there's less mental resources we have to devote to our task at hand. Um, so, you know, I mentioned that the, the, those are things unique to the individual, maybe not so unique when it comes to our, our being social beings. But there's also... Um, technology reasons. And uh, let me talk about one of the biggest reasons of all that people may not realize. Back in 1945, the engineer Vannevar Bush, have you heard of Vannevar Bush? Do you know? No, that is, that is, okay. that is a name that is well done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, he, he was, um, you know, he was, he was quite uh, an innovator. So he was responsible for, for one of the people starting the National Science Foundation. Um, he, in, during World War II, he worked at the U.S. Office of Scientific Research. Um, anyways, he was very frustrated in 1945 with the way information was organized. And at the time, it was the Dewey Decimal System. That's mm. And Dewey Decimal, as you know, if you still go to a physical library, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, uh, it's or information is in a hierarchy. And, and that's not how humans think. Mm -hmm. And so Vannevar Bush had this brilliant idea that information should be organized to coincide with how people actually think. And humans think in terms of associations. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the theory of how our memory is organized, according to a semantic network. When, when I say cat, you think of dog, or you think of meow, or, you know, you have associations. And so um, his idea was to organize information linking together, you know, all our personal memos and photos and recipes and documents, all of that together by some association in what we know today as nodes and links. His, his idea was never built. His idea was called the Memex. It was never built, but others came along and they actually built his idea, which eventually turned into the web, right? 
And of course, Tim Berners-Lee wrote the software to, to make the sharing of information and the linking together of information possible. So the thing is that uh, when, we, when we go on a, like a Wikipedia page, when we, when we go on some web page, there are so many entry points into our mind's network. Mm-hmm. And it's so mm-hmm. natural for us to think in terms of associations, right? That you're clicking on a Wikipedia page, you're reading the content. It's just sparking so many different kinds of associations in our minds. It's something we do that's so natural for us to mm-hmm. surf the web, right? It's the way the web is designed that mimics the way humans think. So it was it's a great innovation, but it also keeps us trapped in the rabbit hole. Yeah, we're right? susceptible. It's so we're interesting. Very susceptible. Yeah. So so there's that and of course, you know, everybody knows about targeted algorithms that we we leave digital traces when we go on the web and that, you know, this information is mined and incorporated into algorithms that are targeted toward people based on personalities. The best thing, of course, turn off notifications. So you can't be, you know, you you can't be a victim of these kinds of ads and notifications. It also turns out, interestingly, there's a parallel trend that film and TV shot lengths have also shortened over the years, and they now average about four seconds. And we can't say cause and effect. It's a parallel trend. Uh, It doesn't mean that because Americans spend about an average of five hours a day on some TV or film screen, Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that that's influencing us to have short attention spans and to be distracted. It could be the other way around. It could be film, TV, and directors believe that's what what people want to see. And so they shorten their shot lengths. So it's it's very complicated. There's so many reasons. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I could talk for many hours as to why we're so distracted. Well, I think you make a good point. And I, when I've heard you on other podcasts, and including um, Armchair Expert with Dak Shepard, uh, talking about the concept of being information rich can also make us attention poor. So I think the concept of there's so much out there right now uh, that is available at our fingertips to be able to try to attend to that we, we simply cannot. And I think that's the way you're talking about how multitasking being an efficiency is a myth. Because right. there's only so much bandwidth in our brains. And as you mentioned, some people have, you know, uh, uh, like Jeremy, have been dealt a good de- uh, set of cards of being able to attend much longer than someone like me, <laughs> who, who really struggles to, 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 you know, probably has a, a large distraction cost uh, time frame. So I love this concept of, of the, the abundance of information can correlate to the uh, the paucity of attention and how attention yeah. really is our social currency there. Yeah, um, the human mind is ultimately a bottleneck mm-hmm. and we, we don't realize it. And that's probably the first thing we need to realize is that we can't possibly take in all that information, uh, especially in a meaningful kind of way. And it, you're pointing to another reason. We, we have this tendency to, to seek more, want more, we believe we can take in more, but we can't, right? We have this, this bottleneck. And yet, you know, the amount of information 
uh, on the web keeps growing. The sources for interruptions keep increasing. And, but, you know, ultimately we just can't take, you know, too much in. We're, we're human. Yeah. You described a scene where you were like on Wikipedia and then you are surfing the web and I could, I could feel myself kind of like surfing the web as you were doing mm-hmm. that, where you just click on something. You're like, oh yeah, I wanted to look at that. And the next thing you know, you're on the next, 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 next. It's a very, very visceral scene for myself and probably a lot of the people listening. Mm-hmm. I want to, bring up another scene that I think is really, really common and gets to the heart of maybe some of the resolutions people are having is what about the time where I'm standing there and I just get this sudden urge to look at my phone and I open it up. And sometimes I don't even know why I opened it up in the first place. Like I I even like look at the screen and I'm like, I don't even know why I took it out. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, attention can be very automatic. It's, it's called exogenous attention. Sometimes we're, there's some stimulus in the environment and we're just drawn to that stimulus. The typical thing would be a notification on our screen. And just the image of your phone, right? See, seeing your, your phone can be enough to trigger that kind of automatic reaction. So, um, you know, put, put your phone away so that, mm-hmm. you know, you're hiding that, that stimulus. But, um, you know, people also have controlled attention. And it's where, in fact, the, the father of psychology, William James, back in the 19th century, talked about, you know, he defined attention as being under people's control. They can select and choose where they want to focus their attention. But he was, he didn't get the full story. He was just talking about the controlled part of attention. But we also have this automatic component in our attention as well. Yeah, you make reference in the past to like driving, you know, is sort of an is is an automatic like I, I why you can drive and have a conversation or drive and listen to a podcast, but then as soon as someone breaks in front of you, now you've switched to that more focused attention. You have these natural reflexes. So when mm-hmm. some car breaks in front of you, you can immediately switch and you know, your um controlled attention would kick in pretty fast so that you can react to it. I think what I'm trying to build is how can I cue myself? So like Jeremy, when you were just giving us kind of a vignette of like being at work and having, you know, three plus different things that are vying for your attention in that moment, your computer in front of you, looking at the EHR, thinking about which patients are waiting for you. My, my biggest struggle is attending to and giving hierarchy to the actual human being in front of me, somebody who's actually presenting a case to me to say like, hey, this is Gloria. She's coming in because her hip is bothering her. But I find myself, I have very little, like if I'm not literally like turning away from my computer and putting my phone over there, I am extremely rudely halfway paying attention to their work that they did that they spent a lot of time doing and then they get through their whole wonderful presentation and then I make them repeat three big parts of it. And that sucks. <laughs> and, I, and I feel like that's what I'm really trying to learn better is willfully focusing my attention on the things that should have higher hierarchy. Um, mm-hmm. That's where I need help. Yeah. So, you know, I, I have uh, practiced something I do myself that, that I recommend, um, it's the the idea is that we have all these automatic actions, right? We we grab our phones, we have urges and 
check social media, but we can be more intentional in our actions. And, and the idea is to make these kinds of automatic actions, this kind of automatic attention, much more conscious for us. And, you know, a way to do it is to keep probing yourself. It kind of snaps you back and you can probe yourself to develop what, what I call meta awareness, which is an awareness of what's happening, what you're doing as it's unfolding. And you can probe yourself to keep yourself on track. So for example, when I have an urge to check the news and I'm a news junkie, mm. I probe myself and say, do I need to check the news right now? Yeah. And chances are no. Or I might say, why am I, why do I have this urge? And it's usually because what I'm doing is boring <laughs> and I, or, or I'm procrastinating. Right. And if I face it, then I, I can say, okay, um, I'm going to set a goal. I'm going to work a little bit longer mm-hmm. till the end of this chapter. And then I'm going to go check the news as a reward. But the idea is to become more intentional and more conscious of our actions. And, and we're much of the time, not very conscious. We do a lot of things just without thinking carefully about them. Your example is really good, Julie, because it, just to exemplify kind of what we've talked about, because I can relate to that for obvious reasons. And I also think that both of those things exemplified that what would have taken less time and led to a good outcome took more time and led to maybe not even a better outcome because you had to do it again or listen to it more. And whatever you were also thinking about probably wasn't getting the right amount of attention to. I think, I mean, I think we're coming in and talking about boundaries. I mean, internal boundaries of like, okay, knowing that, okay, I'm probably switching my attention to this other thing, or I have an urge to want to look at something fluffy because what I'm doing is either boring or frustrating and I want more dopamine right now. But I also think it's, it's helpful. And, and you had alluded to this in your work and, and, um, about basically setting boundaries as far as when we are expecting people to attend to us. And I think, you know, a good a good example would be like setting a boundary time of like in, in a workplace setting of when emails are acceptable or when we should be checking mm-hmm. or when we should be sending it, you know, of like, you know, I have colleagues that send work emails at three o'clock in the morning. And there's an, my, my response to that is like, do I need to attend to this right now? It's either you don't pay attention to it and we've decided that's what we're going to do or we stop sending the shit. <laughs> you know, like, and, it, and you really kind of have to have that discussion with the folks that you interact with because it's so human to want to attend to that person's need when, yes. you're, when you're getting a bid for attention from them. And I think it's a humane, kind thing to do and it's a social currency thing to do. But it's also probably not great for our well-being to, to feel it, like you're constantly on. It's it's not. It's it's really important to detach mm-hmm. from work. And I like what you say about setting boundaries. That's that's really important. You know, unfortunately, some people, knowledge workers, um are penalized when they don't answer electronic communications after work hours. That's why I'm I'm a really big fan of right to disconnect policy. So France has a law where workers can't be penalized if they don't answer electronic communications after work hours. So they they are forced to detach. 
Um, you know, the law, ha- it has mixed reviews because it's great in theory. It's not always followed by organizations, right? So, so sometimes they do keep sending email and expecting people to answer them. Ontario has a policy. Ireland has similar policy. But I I think it's very important for people to be able to detach from work and you're right. It's very good for well-being, and uh, and then you can. Easy, it's easier for you to reattach the next day because the important thing is that you don't want to exhaust your limited and precious mental resources. They are very limited. They are very precious, and let's think about how we can best utilize them and spending time answering communications and being stressed after work hours, it just elongates the, the day. And that's yeah. just not a good idea. We, uh, we're, we're called your doctor friends podcast because we wanted to answer questions that we were getting all the time. People ask their doctor friends questions. They send texts or phone calls or whatever. And so somebody's going to make a resolution and say, I want to use my phone less or use technology less. And I think what I'm, what I've heard from you about both your research and then also kind of some of the recommendations you make out of your research is really in line with some of the things we've seen in other of our conversations that aren't technology related. And it comes back to the goal itself is that the goal itself is very tangible. I want to stop using my phone, but the root of the goal is much different. And the root of the goal is I want to have more intentional intention and I want to make sure that I'm tuning in or people will use the word mindfulness or there's different ways to describe it. Mm. And so I think maybe the take home message that I'm getting out of this is I need to go back to the origin of the goal and basically say, I need to be more intentional in my actions and then the behaviors will, will follow. Yes, that's, that's exactly right. And it's, it's about gaining agency over your attention and your actions. And, you know, there's, there's a number of ways that people can gain agency. One of the most basic things is to just not get ourselves exhausted and stressed um, we found in our research that people, there there are rhythms of when people have peak focus during the day. And we find that most people reach peak focus late morning, about 11 a.m. or so, and then again in the afternoon between two and three. So basically, we would probe people throughout the day, gave them really quick uh Questionnaires took them two seconds to answer that asked them how challenged and how engaged are you in what you're doing? And these had timestamps. And then we could plot uh, over the day. And I define focused attention as when you're challenged and engaged. Now, you know, if you're engaged and not challenged, you're it's like playing solitaire or, you know, a simple game. But we're talking about really focused attention, which involves mental effort. And um, and there's a rhythm. And it coincides with the ebb and flow of people's mental resources that they have available. We can't have sustained focus for long periods of time without getting exhausted. We, we've known that from decades and decades of laboratory research. People, at some point, get exhausted your performance is affected. So make sure that you 
pay attention to your energy level, your attention level. Get to know when your peak focus is. You can do it by learning your chronotype. Mm, Uh, Are you an early type, a late type? Um, If you're an early type and you're up at 5 a.m., your peak focus is going to be much earlier in the day. If you're a late type, uh, you might sleep till mid-morning and then your peak focus, you'll start ramping up into your peak focus. So get to know that and Mm -hmm. understand that you do need to take breaks to replenish. You, you can't just have long sustained periods. And of course, um, and of course, you know this as physicians that starting your day with a full tank of mental resources with good sleep mm-hmm. is so important. And we know that when people accumulate sleep debt, that affects their attention. Sleep debt means if uh, if I need eight hours of sleep a night, and I do, but I'm only getting six hours. I'm accumulating debt. Yeah. And so as the number of days of six hours sleep accumulate, my debt, sleep debt goes up. And I find in my research that there is a direct correlation between sleep debt going up and attention spans decreasing. What do people do? They do lightweight activities like social media because they don't have the resources to focus. So getting good night's sleep taking really meaningful, sufficient breaks uh, is is really important. And it's about getting to know yourself, becoming self-aware of when you're starting to feel exhausted. And I, I used to have really poor self-awareness and I would just work straight through and I was just exhausted. And my my work was suffering and I started reading the same thing over and over again. And I couldn't think of new ideas. So you you learn pretty quickly when you reach that state, but pull back before you get to that, you know, point of exhaustion. There was so much meat in there. That was awesome. Thank you I, for that. And also an awesome plug for our sleep episode. I know. <laughs> I was I was screaming inside, Jeremy. Could you see it in my face that I was like just everything holding myself back from my own impulsivity of being yeah. like, Dr. Mark, how do you know every single uh, episode that we're about to release? Yeah, you, well done. You oracle. Uh, yeah. And then one about burnout coming up to like, goodness gracious, this has just been so I think honestly, Jeremy, we should change this to if you're if your New Year's resolution is to spend less time on your phone, really your New Year's resolution is to go buy Attention Span by Dr. Gloria Mark because that'll give you the information. That'll dig it. That'll scratch the itch that you're really looking for. Yeah, there's there's a lot of other things as well that that people can do. I think you're right. We only scratch the surface. Sure. People know what you do. Do you ever get a doctor friend question to you? Oh, all the time. Sure. All the time. <laughs> what's the most common? Yeah. What's 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 your doctor friend question? Uh, probably the most uh, common one is what, why am I so distracted? Mm. What do you okay. say? Well, Listen to my I, podcast, go, go buy my book. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> no, I, 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 I usually start talking to the person and trying to understand what their habits yeah. are and their practices. And, you know, it usually boils down to their, uh, they're, they're not taking enough breaks uh they're getting themselves exhausted um you know i've i've had um i've talked with many students who have this problem there's it, there's so much uh to unpack in that 
question, but you really have to get to know the the individual to have it, you know, to really give up like a pointed response for, for that person. I think that happens to us a lot, Jeremy, too. How often do you get a very, very vague, broad question where really it's like, what are you actually getting at you? What, what question do you want me to answer? So I feel like, Dr. Mark, when you hear like, why am I so distracted? It's more like, coach me through this specific thing that I'm feeling weird about right now. You know, we're, we're sitting, we spend much of our day in front of the world's largest candy store. <laughs> and we, we just haven't learned how to integrate this into our lives. And yeah. You know, we, we want to take it all in and we can't. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to hear more from you, Dr. Mark, about the book and like where pe- people can get it and give your elevator pitch of what you have going on. Okay. So just, just a moment. Okay. We so, like visuals. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't know if, uh, if this will show, but yeah. Yeah. So perfect. The, the, uh, the book is called Attention Span. A groundbreaking way to restore balance, happiness, and productivity. Uh, we didn't talk very much about psychological balance, but that's one of the key points in the book: is how we can use our technology and maintain a psychological balance uh, and positive well-being. Um, the book. Uh, you, if you want to find out more, you can go to my website, which is www.gloriamark. Com. It's all one word, Gloria Mark. You can find it at your favorite retailer, whether it's <laughs> in in uh, in a uh, brick and mortar bookstore or online retailer. I love it. Thank you. This has been uh, very eye opening, and uh, I think. I think a lot of our listeners could, uh, I think all of our listeners could, could benefit from uh, consuming, you know, the knowledge that you have made your life's work. So we, we, ex- you know, to an extreme appreciate you coming on and, and giving us a little slice of how to, how to self-regulate our attention span. Uh, yeah. I feel like thoughts? I could talk about your research forever just because I find your research to be so interesting and engaging. And I, clearly you have a passion behind it too, but the, the behavioral research that speaks to us on such a visceral level is just so engaging um, because everything that you're looking at is just us and what we do on a daily basis. Um, and, and that just is both scary to me and also wonderful. Um, <laughs> and it's much different than the, the, you know, like the, clinical research that we do sometimes with sports medicine. So I just, I really enjoyed it. So thank you for your time. Oh, it, it was my pleasure. I have to say, I really enjoyed talking with doctors about this. Mm. And I, I know that you can really relate to the idea of trying to um, tackle exhaustion and increase well-being. So, uh, so that was really interesting for me. Yeah. Keep us in mind if you ever need uh, uh, subjects for your next physician study. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I would in a heartbeat. Yes, for sure. Uh, well, so call to action, Jeremy. What do you think we should ask people to do? Yeah, we're asking everybody through the series of resolutions. Please keep following and uh, uh, subscribe. And then our resolution for our listeners has been to tell one person that you think would find this interesting. So this one shouldn't be hard. Just look for somebody that you know that's looking down at their phone instead of listening to you and then tell them that this is a great episode. And frankly, here's a great book you could go read. And here's the link. <laughs> I love it. So yeah, so don't worry. Podcasts don't count as screen time. Just listen to your doctor friends. <laughs> the amazing music is credited to Skillcell with Pixabay licensure. 
The podcast is meant for educational and entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast should not be taken as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Please consult a medical professional for any medical issues that you may be having. The contents of this podcast are the opinions of the hosts only and do not reflect the opinions of their employers or affiliations. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast. Under no circumstances shall Dr. Julie Bruni or Dr. Jeremy Allen or any guest to the podcast be responsible for damages arising from use of the podcast.